Chapter One of Shorty McCabe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Shorty McCabe by Sewell Ford. Chapter One. Excuse me, Mr. Man, but ain't you. Hello, yourself. Blamed if I didn't think there was something kind of natural about the looks as you come piking by. How they runnin', eh? Well, say, I ain't seen you since we used to hit up the grammar school together. You've seen me, eh? Oh, sure, I'd forgot. That was when you showed up at the old athletic club the night I got the belt away from the kid. Doing sportin' news then, wa'n't ya? Chucked all that now, I suppose. Oh, I've kept track of you all right. Every time I sees one of your pieces in the magazines, I reads it. And say, some of em's kind of punk. But then you've got to sling out something or other, I expect, or get off the job. Where do you dig up all of them yarns, anyway? That's what always sticks me. You must knock around a whole bunch and have lots happen to you. Me? Ah, nothing ever happens to me. Of course I'm generally on the move, but it's just along the grub track, and that ain't exciting. Yes, it's been a couple of years since I quit the ring. Why? Say, don't ever put that up to a has-been. It's almost as bad as compounding a felony. I could give you a whole raft of reasons that would sound well, but there's only one that covers the case. There's a knockout coming to the best of em, if they hang to the game long enough. Some ain't satisfied even after two or three. I was. I got mine clean and square, and I ain't ashamed of it. I didn't raise any holler about a chance shot, and I didn't go exhibiting myself on the stage. I slid into a quiet corner for a month or so, and then I dropped into the only thing I knew how to do, training comers to go against the champs. It ain't like pulling down your sixty percent of the gate receipts, but there's waste-paying jobs. Of course, there's times when I find myself up against it. It was during one of them squeezes not so long ago that I gets mixed up with Leonidas Dodge and all that foolishness. Ah, it wasn't anything worth wasting breath over. You would? Honest? Well, it won't take long, I guess. You see, just as my wad looks like it had shrunk so that it would rattle around in a napkin ring, someone passes me the word that Butterfly was down to win the third race at fifteen to one. Now, as a general thing, I don't monkey with the ponies, but when I figured up what a few saw-books would do for me at those odds, I makes for the track and takes the high dive. After it was all over and I was coming back in the train with only a ticket where my roll had been, me feeling about as gay as a Zulu on a cake of ice, along comes this Mr. Dodge that I didn't know from next Tuesday week. Is it as bad as that, says he, sizing up the woe on my face, because if it is, they ought to give you a pension. What was the horse? Butterfly, says I. Now laugh. I've got a right to, says he. I had the same dope. Well, you see, that made us almost second cousins by marriage, and we started to get acquainted. I looked him over careful, but I couldn't place him within a mile. He had points enough, too. The silk hat was a veteran. The Prince Albert dated back about four seasons but the gray gators were down to the minute. Being an easy talker, he might have been a book agent or a green goods distributor, but somehow his eyes didn't seem shifty enough for a crook, 
and no con man would have lasted long wearing the kind of hair that he did it was a sort of lemon yellow and he had a lip decoration about two shades lighter tagging him as plain as an inspected label on a tin trunk i'm a mitt juggler says i and they call me shorty mccabe what's your line i've heard of you he says permit me and he hands out a pasteboard that read leonidas macklin dodge commissioner at large for what says i it all depends says mr dodge sometimes i call it a brass polisher then again it's a toothpaste it works well either way also it cleans silver removes grease spots and can be used for a shaving soap it is a product of my own laboratory none genuine without the signature how does it go as a substitute for beef and says i i've never quite come to that says he but i'm as close now as it's comfortable to be my gold reserve counts up about a dollar thirty-nine you've got me beat by a whole dollar says i then says he you better let me underwrite your next issue there's a friend of mine up to forty-second street that ought to be good for fifty says i i've had lots of friendships off and on says he but never one that i could cash in at a pinch i'll stay by until you try your touch well the forty-second street man had been gone a month there were others i might have tried but i didn't like the risk getting my fingers frostbitten so i hooks up with leonidas and we goes out with a grip full of electro polisho hitting the places where they had nickel-plated signs and brass handrails and say i could starve to death doing that give me a week and two pairs of shoes and i might sell a box or so but dodge he takes an hour to work his side of the block and shakes out a fistful of quarters it's an art says he which one must be born to after this you carry the grip that's the part i was playing when we strikes the tuscarora sounds like a parlor car don't it but it was just one of those swell bachelor joints fourteen stories electric elevators suites of two and three rooms for gents only course we hadn't no more call to go there than to the stock exchange but leonidas macklin he's one of the kind that don't wait for cards seeing the front door open and a crowd of men in the hall he blazes right in silk hat on the back of his head hands in his pockets and me close behind with the bag what's up auction row or accident says he to one of the mob now if it had been me that butted in like that i'd had a row on my hands in about two minutes but in less time than that leonidas knows the whole story and is right to home taking me behind the handmade palm he puts me next seems that someone had advertised in the morning paper for a refined high-browed person to help one of the same kind kill time at a big salary and look what he gets says leonidas waving his hand at the push there's more'n a hundred of em and not more'n a dozen that you couldn't trace back to a mills hotel they've been jawing away for an hour trying to settle who gets the cinch the chap who did the advertising is inside there in the middle of that bunch and i reckon he wishes he hadn't as an act of charity shorty i'm going to straighten things out for him come on better call up the reserves says i but that wasn't mr dodge's style side-stepping around to the off edge of the crowd just as if he'd come down from the elevator he calls out good and loud now then gentlemen one side please one side ah thank you in the moment now gentlemen 
we'll get down to business. And say, they opened up for us like it was payday, and he had the cash box. We brought up before the saddest-looking cuss I ever saw out of bed. I couldn't make out whether he was sick or scared or both. He had flopped in a big leather chair and was trying to wave him away with both hands, while about two dozen, looking like ex-bath rubbers or men noises, were telling him how good they were and shoving references at him. The rest of the gang was trying to push in for their whack. It was a bad mess, but Leonidas wasn't fiased a bit. Attention, gentlemen, says he, if you will retire to the room on the left, we'll go to work. The room on the left, gentlemen, on the left. And he had a good voice, Leonidas did, one of the kind that could go against a merry-go-round or a German band. The crowd stopped, pushed to listen, then someone made a break for the next room, and in less than a minute they were all in there, with the door shut between. Mr. Dodge tips me the wink and sails over to the specimen in the chair. "'Your Mr. Homer fails, I take it,' says he. "'I am,' says the pale one, breathing hard. "'And who—' "'Who the devil are you?' "'That's neither here nor there,' says Leonidas. "'Just now I'm a lifeboat. "'Do you want to hire any of these fellows? "'If so—' "'No, no, no,' says Homer, shaking as if he had a chill. "'Send them all away, will you? "'They have nearly killed me.' "'Away they go,' says Leonidas. "'Watch me do it.' First he has me go in with his hat and collect their cards.' Then I calls him out, one by one, while he stands by to give each one the long-lost brother grip, and whispers in his ear, as confidential as if he was telling them how he'd won the piano at a church raffle, "'Don't say a word. Tomorrow at ten. They all got the same, even to the hickey boy's shoulder pad as he passed him out, and every last one of them faded away trying to keep from looking tickled to death. It took twenty minutes by the watch.' Now, Mr. Fales, says Leonidas, coming to a parade rest in front of the chair, next time you want to play Santa Claus to the unemployed, I'd advise you to hire Madison Square Garden to receive in. That seemed to put a little life into Homer. He hitched himself up off in the middle of his backbone, pulled in a yard or two of long legs, and pried his eyes open. You couldn't call him handsome and prove it. He had one of those long two-by-four faces, with more nose than chin, and a pair of inset eyes that seemed built to look for grief. The corners of his mouth were sagged, and his complexion made you think a cheese pie. But he was still alive. "'You've overlooked one,' says he, and points my way. "'He wouldn't do it all. Send him off, too.' "'That's where you're wrong, Mr. Fales,' says Leonidas. "'This gentleman is a wholly disinterested party, and he's a particular friend of mine.' Professor McCabe, let me introduce Mr. Homer Fales. So I came to the front and gave Homer's flipper a little squeeze that must have done him as much good as an electric treatment by the way he squirmed. If you ever feel ambitious for a little six-ounce glove exercise, says I, just let me know. Thanks, says he, thanks very much, but I'm an invalid, you see. In fact, I'm a very sick man. About three rounds a day would put you on your feet, says I. There's nothing like it. He kind of shuddered and turned to Leonidas. You are certain that those men will not return, are you? says he. Not before tomorrow at ten. You can be out then, you know, says Mr. Dodge. 
Tomorrow at ten, says Homer, and slumps again, all in a heap. Oh, this is awful, he groans. I couldn't survive another. It was the worst case of funk I ever saw. We put in an hour trying to brace him up, but not until we promised to stay by overnight could we get him to breathe deep. Then he was grateful as if we'd pulled him out of the river. We half lugs him over to the elevator and takes him up to his quarters. It wasn't any cheap hangout either. Nothing but silk rugs on the floor and parlor furniture all over the shop. We had dinner served up there, and it was a feed to dream about. Oysters, ruddy duck, filly of beef with mushrooms and all the frills, while Homer worries along on a few toasted crackers and a cup of weak tea. As Leonidas and me does the anti-famine act, Homer unloads his hard-luck wheeze. He was the best example of an all-around invalid I ever stacked up against. He didn't go in for no halfway business. It was neck or nothing with him. He wasn't on the hospital list one day and bumpin' the bumps the next. He was what you might call a consistent sufferer. It's my heart, mostly, says he. I think there's a leak in one of the valves. The doctors lay it to noise, some of them, but I'm certain about the leak. Why not call in a plumber, says I. But you couldn't chirk him up that way. He believed in the leaky heart of his for years. It was his stock and trade. As nearly as I can make out, he began being an invalid about the time he should have been hunting a job, and he'd always had someone to back him up in it until about two months before we met him. Foist it was his mother, and when she gave out, his old maid sister took her toyne. Her name was Joyfina. He told us all about her, how she used to fan him when he was hot, wrap him up when he was cold, and read to him when she couldn't think of anything else to do. But one day Joyfina was thoughtless enough to go off somewhere and quit living. You could see that Homer would never quite forgive her for that. It was when Homer tried to find a substitute for Joyfina that his troubles began. He had all kinds of noises, but the good ones wouldn't stay, and the bad ones he'd fired. He'd tried valets, too, but none of them seemed to suit. Then he got desperate and wrote out that ad that brought the mob down on him. He gave us a diagram of exactly the kind of man he wanted, and from his plans and specifications we figured out that what Homer was looking for was a cross between a galley slave and a he-angel, someone who would know just what he wanted before he did and be ready to hand it out whenever called for and he was game to pay the price, whatever it may be. You see, says Homer, whenever I make the least exertion or undergo the slightest excitement, it aggravates the leak. I'd seen lots who ducked all kinds of exertion, but mighty few with so slick an excuse. It would have done me good to have said so, but Leonidas didn't look at it that way. He was a sympathizer from headquarters, seemed to like nothing better to hear Homer tell how bad off he was. What you need, Fails, says Leonidas, is the country, the calm, peaceful country. I know a nice, quiet little place about a hundred miles from here that would just suit you, and if you say the word, I'll ship you off down there early tomorrow morning. I'll give you a letter to an old lady who'll take care of you better than four trained nurses. She has brought half a dozen children through all kinds of sickness, from measles to broken necks, 
and she's never quite so contented as when she's trotting around waiting on somebody. I stopped there once when I was a little hoarse from a cold, and before she let me go to bed, she made me drink a bowl of ginger tea, soak my feet in hot mustard water, and bind a salt pork poultice around my neck. If you'd just go down there, you'd both be happy. What do you say? Homer was doubtful. He never lived much in the country and was afraid it wouldn't agree with his leak. But early in the morning he was up to wanting to know more about it. He began to think of that mob of snap-hunters that was booked to show up again at ten o'clock, and it made him nervous. Before breakfast was over, he was willing to go almost anywhere. Only he was dead set that me and Leonidas should trail along, too. So there we were, with Homer on our hands. Well, we packed a trunk for him, called a cab, and got him loaded on the parlor car. About every so often he'd clap his hands to his side and groan. Oh, my heart, my poor heart. It was as touching as the heroine speeches to the top gallery. On the way down, Leonidas gave us a bird's-eye view of the kind of Jim Crow settlement we were heading for. It was one of those places where they date things back to the time when Lem Saunders fell down the cellar with a lamp and set the house afire. The town looked it. There was an aggregation of three men, two boys, and a yellow dog inside of Main Street when we landed. We'd wired ahead, so the old lady was ready for us. Leonidas called her Mother Bickle. She was short, about as thick through as a sugar barrel, and wore two kinds of hair, the front frizzes being a lovely chestnut. But she was a nice-spoken old girl, and when she found out that we brought along a genuine invalid with a leak in his blood pump, she almost fell on our necks. In about two shakes she'd hustled Homer to a rocking chair, wedged him in place with pillows, wrapped a blanket around his feet, and shoved him up to a table where there was a hungry man's layout of clam fritters, canned corn, boiled potatoes, and hot mince pie. There wasn't any use for Homer to register a kick in the bill of fare. She was too busy telling him how much good the things would do him, and how he must eat a lot or she'd feel bad, to listen to any remarks of his about toasted crackers. For supper there was fried fish, applesauce, and hot biscuit, and Homer had to take his share. He was glad to go to bed early. She didn't object to that. Mother Bickle's house was right in the middle of the town, with a grocery store on one side and the post office on the other. Homer had a big front room with three windows on Main Street. There was a strip of plank sidewalk in front of the house so that you didn't miss any footfalls. Mother Bickle could tell who was going by without looking. Leonidas and me put in the evening hearing her tell about some of the things that had happened to her oldest boy. He'd had a whirl out of most everything but an earthquake. After that, we had an account of how she buried her two husbands. About ten o'clock, we started for bed, dropping in to take a look at Homer. He was sitting up, wide awake, and looking worried. "'How many people are there in this town?' says he. "'About a thousand, says Leonidas. "'Why?' Then they have all marched past my windows twice, says Homer. Shouldn't wonder, says Leonidas. They just been off to the post office and back again. They do that four times a day. But you mustn't mind. Just you thank your stars you're down here where it's nice and quiet. Now I'd go to sleep if I was you. Homer said he would. I was ready to tear off a few yards of repose myself, but somehow I couldn't connect. 
it was quiet all right in spots fact is it was so blamed quiet that you could hear every rooster that crowed within half a mile if a man on the other side of town shut a window you knew all about it i was getting there though and was almost up to the dropping off place when some folks in a back room on the next street begins to indulge in a family argument i didn't pay much notice to the preamble but as they warmed up to it i couldn't help from getting the drift it was all about the time of year that a fellow named of hen dorset had been run over by the cars up to jersey city i say it was just before thanksgiving pipes up the old lady i know cause i was into the butchers asking what turkeys would be likely to fetch when doc bruisewater drops in and says morning f heard about hen dorset and then he told about him falling under the cars so it must have been just afore thanksgiving thanksgiving your grandmother growls the old man it was in march along the second week i should say because the day i heard of it was just after school election march of eighty three that's when it was eighty three squeals the old lady are you losing your mind altogether it was eighty five the year jimmy cut his hand so bad at the sawmill jimmy wasn't waking at the sawmill that year raps back the old man he was tonguing oysters that fall cause he didn't hear a word about hen until the next friday night when i told him myself hen was killed on a monday it was on a saturday or i'm a lunatic snaps the old lady well they kept on piling up evidence each one making the other out to be a fool or a liar or both until the old man says see here maria i'm going up the street and ask a's horner when it was that hen dorset was killed a's knows for he was the one mrs dorset got to go up after hen yes and he'll tell you it was just before thanksgiving of eighty five so what's the use says the old lady we'll see what he says growls the old man and i heard him strike a light and get into his shoes who are you betting on says leonidas gee says i are you awake too i thought you was asleep an hour ago i was says he but when this hen dorset debate breaks loose i came back to earth i'll gamble that the old woman's right the old man's mighty positive says i wonder how long it'll be before we get the returns perhaps half an hour says leonidas he'll have to thrash it all out with ace before he starts back we might as well sit up and wait anyway i want to see which gets the best of it let's have a smoke then says i why not go along with the old man says leonidas if he finds he's wrong he may come back and lie about it well it was a fool thing to do when you think about it but somehow leonidas had a way of looking at things that was different from other folks he didn't know any more about that there hen dorset than i did but he seemed just as keen as if it was all in the family we had hustled our clothes on and was sneaking down the front stairs as easy as we could when we hears from homer i heard you dressing says he so i got up too i haven't been asleep yet then come along with us says leonidas it'll do you good only going up the street to find out when it was that the cars struck hen dorset homer didn't savvy but he didn't care mainly he wanted company he whispered to us to go easy suspecting that if we woke up mother bickle she'd want to feed him some more clam fritters by the time we'd unlocked the front door though she was after us but all she wanted was to make homer wrap a shawl around his head to keep out the night air 
and don't you dare take it off until you get back says she homer was glad to get away so easy and said he wouldn't but he was a sight looking like a turk with a sore throat the old man had routed ace horner out by the time we got there and they was having it hot and heavy ace said it wasn't either november nor march when he went up after hen dorset but the middle of october he knew because he'd just begun shingling his kitchen and the line storm came along before he got it finished more than that it was in eighty four for that was the year he ran for sheriff see here gentlemen says leonidas isn't it possible to find some official record of this sad tragedy you'll excuse us being strangers for taking a hand but there don't seem to be much show of our getting any sleep until this thing is settled besides i'd like to know myself now let's go to the records i'm ready says ace if this thick-headed old idiot here don't think i can remember back a few years why i'm willing to stay up all night to show him let's go to the county clerks and make him open up so we started all five of us just as the town clock struck twelve we hadn't gone more than a block though before we met a whiskered old relic stumping along with a stick in his hand he was the police force it seems of course he wanted to know what was up and when he found out he was ready to make affidavit that hen had been killed some time in august of eighty one one night one of the pallbearers says he and hadn't i just drawn my back pension and paid off the mortgage of my place eh no use routing out the clerk to ask such a fool question and anyways he ain't home come to think of it if you'll permit me to suggest says leonidas there ought to be all the evidence needed right in the cemetery of course there is says ace homer why didn't we think of that first off i'll get a lantern and we'll go up and read the date on the headstone there was six of us lined up for the cemetery the three natives jawing away as to who was right and who wasn't every little ways someone would hear the racket throw up a window and chip in most of them asked to wait until they could dress and join the procession before we'd gone half a mile it looked like a torchlight parade the bigger the crowd got the faster the recruits fell in folks didn't stop to ask any questions they just jumped into their clothes grabbed lanterns and piked after us there were men and women and children not to mention a good many dogs every one was jabbering away some asking what it was all about and the rest trying to explain there must have been a good many wild guesses for i heard one old feller in the rear rank squalling out remember neighbors nothing rash now nothing rash i couldn't figure out just what they meant by that at the time but then the whole business didn't seem any too sensible so i didn't bother on the way up i'd sort of fell in with the constable he couldn't get anyone else to listen to him and as he had a lot of unused conversation on hand i let him spiel it off at me leonidas and homer were ahead with ace homer and the old duffer that started the row and the debate was still going on when we got to the cemetery homer dropped out and leaned up against the gate saying he'd wait there for us we piled after ace who made a dash to get to the headstone first it's right over in this section says he waving his lantern and i want all of you to come and see that i know what i'm talking about when i give out dates i want to show you by ginger that i've got a memory that's better than any diary ever wrote here we are now here's the grave and 
Well, darn my eyes. Bless if there's any sign of a headstone here. And there one neither. By jinks, says the old constable, slapping his leg. That's one on me, boys. Why, Lizzie Dorset told me last week that her mother had the stone took up and sent away to have the name of a second husband cut on't. Why, only last week she told me, and here I'd clean forgot it. You're an old billy goat, says Ace Horner. There, there, says Leonidas, soothed him down. We've all enjoyed the walk, anyway, and maybe. But just then he hears something that makes him prick up his ears. What's the row back there at the gate, he asks. Then, turning to me, he says, Shorty, where's Homer? Down there, says I. Then come along on the jump, says he. If there's any trouble lying around loose, he'll get into it. Down by the gate we could see lanterns by the dozen, and we could hear all sorts of yells and excitement, so we makes our move on the double. Just as we fetched the gate, someone hollers. There he goes, lynch the villain. We sees a couple of long legs strike out and gets a glimpse of a head wrapped in a shawl. It was Homer, all right, and he had the gang after him. He took a four-foot fence at a hurdle and was streaking off through a plowed field into the dark. Hi, Fails, sings out Leonidas. Come back here, you chump. But Homer kept right on. Maybe he didn't hear, and perhaps he was too scared to stop if he did. All we could do was to get into the free-for-all with the others. What did he do, yells Leonidas at a sandy-whiskered man who carried a clothesline and was shouting, Lynch him! Lynch him! between jumps. Do, says the man. Ain't you heard? Why, he choked Mother Bickle to death and robbed her of seventeen dollars. He's wearing her shawl now. As near as we can make out, the thing happened like this. When the tail-enders came rushing up with all kinds of wild yawns about robbers and such, they catches sight of Homer leaning up in the shadow of the gate. Someone holds a lantern up to his face and an old woman spots the shawl. It's Mother Bickles, says she. Where'd he get it? That was enough. They went for Homer like he'd set fire to a synagogue. Homer tried to tell him who he was and about his heart, but he talked too slow, for his voice wasn't strong enough, and when they began to plan on yanking him up then and there, without printing his picture in the paper or a trial, he heaves up a yell and lights out for the boarding-house. Ten hours before I wouldn't have matched Homer against a one-legged man, but the way he was getting over the ground then was worth the price of admission. I have done a little track work myself, and Leonidas didn't show up for any glue foot, but Homer would have made the tape ahead of us for any distance under two miles. He'd cleared the crowd and was back into the road again, traveling wide and free, with the shawl streaming out behind the nearest Avenger two blocks behind us, when out jumps a Johnny-on-the-spot citizen and gives him the low tackle. He was a pussy bald-headed little duffer, this citizen chap, and not being used to blocking runs, he goes down underneath. Before they could untangle, we comes up, snakes Homer off the top of the heap, and skidoos for all we had left in us. By the time that crowd of jayhawkers comes booming down to Mother Bickles to view the remains, we had the old goyle up and settin' at the front window with a light behind her. They asked each other a lot of foolish questions, and then concluded to go home. 
while things was quietin' down we were making a grand rush to get homer to bed before he passed in altogether neither leonidas nor me looked for him to last more'n an hour or two after that stunt and we were thinkin' of takin' him back in a box but after he got his breath he didn't say much except that he was plumb tired we were still wonderin' whether to send for a doctor or the coroner when he rolls over with his face to the wall and goes to sleep as comfortable as a kitten in a basket it was in the middle of the forenoon before any of us shows up for breakfast we'd inspected homer once about eight o'clock and found him still sawin wood so we didn't try to get him up but just as i was openin up my second egg down he comes walkin a little stiff but otherwise as good as ever if not better how far was it that i ran last night mr dodge says he about a mile and a half says leonidas stating it generous and it was a good amateur sprintin as i ever saw homer cracked the first smile i'd seen him tackle and pulled up to the table i'm beginning to think says he that there can't be much of a leak in my heart after all when we get back to town tonight mr mccabe we'll have another talk about those boxing lessons eggs yes thank you mrs bickle about four soft and by the way dodge what was the date on that gravestone anyway end of chapter one